Welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law in Sport. I'm joined today by my colleague Manan Agarol, who is an editor at Law in Sport. Our special guests today are Dan Bouliard and Sven de Mulemista, who are founders and partners of Atfield, a collaboration between the full-service law firm Altius and the tax law firm Tibijern. Atfield provides a single point of contact for the sports sector. Their clients include football clubs inside and outside of Belgium, investors in acquiring football clubs, players, cyclists and cycling teams, Olympic athletes and sports federations. Recently, Dan and Sven advised the rather high-profile Kevin De Bruyne during his recent contract negotiations with Manchester City. A deal which many of you would have seen in the headline, partly because, not only because of the wonderful player that he is, but because of his decision to negotiate his contract without an agent. And in doing so, he was using data analytics in order to seek increase his wage. In this interview, Dan and Sven talk about their work more broadly, trends are seeing in the football market, but give insights into the deal, provide some background that you maybe you wouldn't have picked up in the press, but also give their perspective on what the future relationship should be between players and agents or other professional advisors. It's a fascinating interview. Obviously, with the looming FIFA agent regulation changes on the horizon, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And remember, if you do enjoy it, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you act for many athletes, clubs, as well as obviously some high-profile football players. Before we get into... Um, particulars. Can you just give us a background into the type of work that you do and the clients that you act for? So when uh, when we um, are asked by a player to um, to guide them, basically what we try to do is to be the the voice of reason, uh, meaning that um, it's a very complex world, the world of football. Um, first of all, it's a complex world from a tax and legal perspective. Um, a lot to be uh, taken in, in, into consideration. There's the, the working relationship between a player and a club, usually an employment contract subject to local laws, uh, but there's also interaction with many other actors. Uh, there's commercial partners, sports governing bodies, media, uh, and so forth. Um, also, it's a complex world because uh, many want to make profit uh, from a top uh, athlete and not everyone has good intentions. It, it's a fact. It's a, it's a very global business as well, so, um, and that's something that uh, Dan can, can comment uh, more specifically on, but the questions of international taxation, where labor is taxable, what about uh, a loan fee, etc. Those are questions that require, uh, I think, more and more sector-specific knowledge um, uh, that may exceed uh, the, the level of expertise that, that often local accountants uh, that are otherwise very good local accountants uh, not necessarily have. And then, uh, well, it's it's a money business. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a billion business. Um, as I said before, not everyone's intentions are good. Uh, there's a very specific setup in the world of football with a, at its core, uh, the transfer system, which is basically people, football is being sold for money, money flowing in from all sorts of exotic destinations. And so it's still very much a wild west uh, in a way. Uh, in which uh, the top athletes, uh, top players and their families have to navigate. And so I think the main role, uh, if we act for, for football players, is that uh, we are lawyers in, in the true sense of the word. Uh, so uh, what we do is protect the players, 
uh, and it's actually not very different from what we um, do uh, for, for the last decades for other clients, client entrepreneurs, CEOs, advising them, uh, protecting them, uh, safeguarding them to the maximum uh, extent possible. Brilliant. So, uh, Sven, so one of the things that you were saying there was that obviously we've got a, a bunch of bad actors potentially who are looking like in any market where there's money flows, as you described. And so when you're advising as a lawyer, you're trying to basically identify and ask pertinent questions that would in any other business sense be sort of almost a risk management and a compliance sort of process just to identify, not to say, to necessarily tell a client that if someone's a uh, you know a good person or bad person just for those people who aren't clear on this but what you are doing is going for using your legal skills to do your due diligence to make sure that everything is above board and because particularly I, I think it might be relevant for you guys to explain obviously uh, some of the potted history of Belgium in particular in terms of you know some of the situations that happen there to put it into context is in terms of why in particular you guys are well aware of you know sometimes the lack of due process that's followed as, as as football can be an industry where there's a lot of trust involved built on personal relationships at time rather than you know good business relationships well uh, there there have been a mass of, of scandals uh, not only in belgium by the way uh, but uh, a lot of uh, football scandals uh, often involving uh, football agents and i think um well Together with the media coverage on, on what I would call the murkier side of, uh, of football, um, you have a double effect. Um, on the one hand, it served as a wake-up call, I think, uh, for, for FIFA and, and football governing bodies in general uh, to take back control, at least to some extent, uh, to re-regulate that market. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we sense in, in our uh, line of work that it helped emancipate footballers um, I think that is probably the most important trend um, among among players. Um, they, of course, also read newspapers. They, um, uh, if they have uh, teammates that were a victim of uh, of a scamming agent, uh, that they would know about this. So, the tendency there is that they really want to regain control over their careers themselves, both on and off the field. Um, just to, to avoid uh, this, this trap that some of them previously um, walked into. Um, I think our business is, is quite simple in that respect, um, especially from the numbers side. Um, as a tax lawyer, uh, I think our entry to clients is often even not so much, um, let's say, uh, uh, that there are not only bad actors involved, uh, but often it's just uh, that we come to find that um, some files have not been dealt with uh, uh, to a level of quality that the files should have been dealt with. If you know what I mean, it's, it's the issue is often that the issues have become very complex. Uh, over the past few years, you see a lot of developments uh, on an OECD level uh, in, 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 from a tax perspective. Uh, you see ex automatic exchange of information between countries, et cetera, et cetera, leading to the fact that, uh, let's say, the not high-end advisors uh, are just being pushed out of the game. Uh, matters have become so complex that, in essence, Football players need the same level of advisory 
uh, as uh, multinational companies uh, require. Um, so that's basically something, it's an evolution, uh, especially over the last decade. And often uh, I think our, our main source of clients is, is effectively um, clients who are facing issues and they come to us for solving uh, very complex issues. And uh, upon that moment, um, let's say uh, a due diligence is done on, on, um, on their entire team, uh, on the entire process that they handle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So would it be fair to say then that if I was to rephrase um, the question, I guess, that given what you said, and maybe this is a true reflection of the market, that actually there's not as many sort of bad actors as there are people who are ill-equipped uh, to deal with this increasingly complex landscape, particularly we're dealing with the top talent where the money's gone up and the, 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 you know, their, their, their employment earnings have gone up, their commercial opportunities have gone up, they're working with more multinational organisations, as you were describing, Don, given the transnational nature of these you know, players' portfolio, let's say, is from playing international duty for their club, et cetera, that, that if they don't have advisors like yourselves, then they can quickly become unstuck just because they won't be aware that there's a potential issue there. Is that the, the sort of the bigger problem in this in in football, as you would say, uh, where there are issues of of uh, particularly tax, but other sort of advisory related issues that crop up? Yes, that's that. In my opinion, that's very much correct. Um, uh, obviously, we are predominantly active in Belgium, although with an international scope, uh, but I think what's happening in Belgium and, and everybody's reading the press and, and seeing the evolutions in Belgium, um, there are, have already been, well, uh, some issues there, um, mainly due to, to, to well, uh, agents with bad intentions. However, I don't think that we, we can consider this phenomenon as being representative for a, a worldwide trend. I think it's uh, that's mainly due to the fact that Belgium is a very small market, has been very isolated uh, to some extent, um, and some individuals just by chance had a really big impact on on, on the sector. Uh, if I look at what is happening in, in in the UK, for example, where you have uh, specialized advisors uh, whom we well love to work with, uh, obviously, who have been active in the field already for. For quite some time, uh, we see that some countries, um, well, uh, have already further developed um, in comparison to Belgium. It's interesting on that point, though, as well, that Belgium was kind of one of the first authorities, really, to start looking into this stuff quite aggressively, I guess, or at least got the public profile from it. And it felt like in Spain, Italy, the UK, that everyone else started to follow suit. And I think you framed that very nicely. So coming on then on this point that you've made so articulately about why top players in particular, you know, we can come on to, you know, where you, you know, feel that your type of services become more relevant to the level of player. Notably, you acted for Kevin De Bruyne um, on his new contract with Manchester City. Now, there was a lot of media coverage, particularly in the Athletic, but I think just across the ball on this, it generated so much profile. And you know, congratulations to you guys, because you were mentioned all over the place, which was lovely to see. Can you tell us a bit more about the approach taken when it came to his new contract? And you know, is this indicative of something we're going to see happen more in the future? Well, Gavin simply came to us and said, uh, I'm going to do this myself. 
Um, that, that's fairly atypical, I think, in in this market and, and given the level of player that he is. Um, he just wanted to make sure that he made the best possible choice for the remainder of his career uh, in every aspect imaginable. And so, indeed, he had a quite atypical approach in, 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 in securing what he wanted to, uh, to secure. Uh, and I think there's probably two elements that, that um, came across quite regularly in, in, in the media. Uh, uh, the first element was the fact that uh, he did not involve an agent in negotiating the deal. He did the negoti- negotiation himself with the support of, of his dad and, and, and us as lawyers. And the second element is probably the use of uh, football analytics data in the framework of the negotiations. Um, so in terms of, well, can, can we give more details on, on the approach, on the process? Well, on the first element, we cannot comment too much uh, since, uh, well, as, as was also uh, covered in the media, Kevin parted ways with his previous agent and that dispute is still ongoing. But um, I would not uh, blow this element out of proportion either. Suffice to say, for me at least, that Kevin has a very specific profile as a player as well. Uh, Kevin's contract extension was obviously a very specific transaction. Um, he has not been the first top footballer to negotiate a contract extension himself. And I don't think he will be the last. Um, so so that, that is something uh, that, that surely popped up as a, as a very specific element to this deal. The second element, uh, use of analytics, um, I think was a, logic, uh, a logical consequence of the fact that he wanted to have the best possible understanding of his uh, situation. On, on one hand, he wanted to better understand his proper market value and use this, of course, in, in the framework of the negotiations with Man City. On the other hand, he wanted to make sure that, uh, and that was maybe also fairly atypical, uh, Kevin being Kevin, he wanted to make sure that City was really the club best fitting his specific profile and the club offering him the best guarantee uh, to win, uh, well, the ultimate prize in, in European football being the uh, UEFA Champions League. And uh, although he thought from the onset that Man- Manchester City was the best fit, uh, he had recourse to data uh, to basically confirm this. Um, so in terms of, of the two specific elements to, uh, to this contract extension negotiation, I think those are the, well, the main comments that we can make in that respect. I think and I would even go a step further in saying that um, trying to determine or trying to seek assistance in navigating um, and seeking the, the 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 club which is most appropriate for him to enable him to 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 win that particular prize, that was the main reason. Mm. Uh, the assistance of the analytics in further down the negotiation process is um, is supplementary. Mm. Uh, that first question was at least uh, for Kevin the most important question to be answered. So now, from from this from this different approach that that Kevin seems to have taken by not choosing an agent and in fact building a professional base behind him to negotiate his contract, do you think this is something that we're going to see more of in the professional game across the game, or is it something which is going to be isolated for the international players mostly? I think there's a trend, but it's uh, it's a trend that has been ongoing uh, even prior to, to Kevin's contract extension. If you look at Mbappé, uh, when he signed at, at Paris Saint-Germain at the, at the time, that was also without 
uh, without agents. Uh, but at the same time, I, I also would like to stress that it would be a, a tad naive maybe to think that agents no longer have a role to play. Uh, again, situation of an established top player working without an agent is not comparable to the situation of, say, an, uh, an emerging talent looking how to, to map out his future career uh, or, or the situation of uh, a player struggling with his current team and looking for a transfer. I mean, for sure, uh, agents will still have uh, have a role to play um, in, in in that respect. Well, I think what we see as 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 an evolution, though, is is not so much young players uh, contacting us and and requesting us to advise them uh, and on 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 the mapping out of their entire career, but there have been some. Uh, so a moment of self-reflection, I think, uh, also for parents of, of younger football players who have become aware of, of, of numerous issues. And uh, what you do see is that uh, whilst an agent, well, an agent and a, and a lawyer uh, are basically doing two entirely different things. And for an emerging talent, uh, you also need uh, the guidance uh, from a sports perspective. You need, you need that advisory element as well in your career. Um, what we do see is that already at an early age, uh, we're contacted by, by parents of players um, who are already very conscious of, of the issues that might arise. Uh, and they try, try to, to form a tandem uh, between uh, us as lawyers uh, and the agents, uh, both with very specific uh, tasks. And so that's an evolution that we that we witness uh, and which I consider to be a very healthy one. Again, so, this, is, this is for me also linked to the, the emancipation uh, we referred to earlier, um, where before what we often saw uh, were, were the agents were in control of the the full career uh, and, and everything on and off the pitch uh, when it uh, came to uh, to a player. Now players more often than before will choose to have a lawyer working alongside their agent. Um, so for me, it's not a really smart thing to do for a player to uh, to what we saw very often before uh, is, is that uh, the players work with the lawyer of the agent. I mean, you have an inherent... Uh, an obvious conflict of interest there. Uh, so what we need now see is that they seek their own independent counsel, um, still acknowledging um, that the agent uh, may be there to help, but they make sure that they have uh, checks and balances in place uh, to make sure that the agent always effectively works in the interest of the player. That is a, a very important uh, evolution or trend that, that, that we see. Um, maybe another element is... Um, uh, a clash that is coming up between the classic agents and, and a certain type of lawyer. Um, I'd say lawyers not sticking uh, to, to proper lawyering uh, and, and rather become agents. And uh, a prime of, example of this is, I think, uh, what hap is now happening in France, um, where you have more lawyers, uh, lawyer agents than you have agents uh, these days. And um, there's... Uh, at least that's how we feel it. Uh, also among uh, agents, there is a fear that they will be cannibalized by, by lawyers that just look to do the same job they have been doing. Um, again, as Dan said earlier on, we think it's a different job. I think it's a mistake for a, a lawyer to, to try and act as an agent. Um, and, and it's 
it always stems from the same um, yeah, baseline. And both agents and lawyers understand that a transaction is, is probably the most lucrative uh, element to, uh, to the business. And actual guidance and, uh, and assisting your player day in, day out uh, throughout a player's career is often considered to be cumbersome and time-consuming. And so what we see is both with, uh, with, with lawyers that tend to be lawyer agents and, and, and agents, they focus a lot and maybe too much on, on the transaction side of things and not on, on the proper job, which for lawyers is the tax and legal protection of their clients and, and for uh, an agent um, scouring the, the market, establishing a network and, and help map out the sporting future of, uh, of a talented player. And that's aligned when you say that, and it sounds so obvious, but that's also aligned with the longer term development and sustainable development of yeah. the football industry and the welfare of an individual. And so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm aligned to that, to that perspective um, from the perspective of like, we look at the growth of the marketplace and the professionalization of, of sport, but particularly football as a, as a business in an industry, that what you'd want is there to be a, um, a group of expert advisors, professional advisors like yourselves, who can advise and are incentivized, as you said, for the right reasons to keep that, um, you know, professional from a professional services perspective uh, stance rather than think, oh, here's an opportunity here for us to develop, you know, um, yeah, yeah, to, to elsewhere. And that, that's quite interesting because then you look at the return on investment you get from developing and investing in your career advising players, for example, then it's not just trying to get one big client that you can hopefully get all the deals on and et cetera. You're looking at more broadly about these uh, services that you can offer and no doubt, you know, when you're looking at, you know, whether it is on the, the just uh, the player employment or whether it's on these commercial deals on the tax side, you can see that you end up with much less conflicts as well. So it becomes easier to navigate and you can grow a meaningful client base done. So, yeah, that's, that's fully correct. Also, what I would like to add in that respect is um, the trend that you see in the market of trying to become a 360 degree advisor, um, I think is, is, is something which is, really naive. Uh, it's, it's naive to think that you, um, you're able to provide top-level legal advice, top-level tax advice, and on the side of it, uh, also provide some advice on the nutritional habits of, of, of your client, as well as his uh, fill-in some, some of the psychological needs. So it's, it's, what you see is just it's um, trying to transpose a uh, business way of working to the business that is a football player. Um, that is something that's well. Uh, some of some of some of the advisors on the market are trying to combine everything uh, and say, well, we offer this, we offer that. We can also guide you in your career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, our perspective or our take on things is is not so much um, that we want to help the client with every issue that he has. Mm. Uh, but we want to help him with particular issues in the best way possible. And, and no doubt then we're looking at, yeah, as I said, every two years, an evolution of a marketplace. All of this stuff is going to sort of, as you were saying with agents, they always get a bad rap, but there are some great agents out there who are really valuable and really useful and you know, can provide great counsel, and particularly, as you're saying, with a, with a team of people. So no doubt, depending where someone is, in their career, would you say that there's a kind of this sort of, you know, people need to pick and choose carefully depending where they're at is going to be the best match for them. 
do you agree with that? Is that, is that so you're nodding? I don't think people people listening won't be able to tell, but they are nodding. <laughs> Manon, I think you might have had a question. Do you want to ask? Yeah. So now, uh, because players are often focused on ensuring peak performance, and their main focus lies there, and they're often unsophisticated purchases of whether it's legal services or services of an agent. How do they ensure that the team that they're surrounding themselves with? are acting in their best interests and don't have conflict with each other? The main concern they should have is that they, they rely on, on individual experts for, for each field, as, as Dan pointed out, and um, avoid agency problems. Uh, with, with an agency problem, what I mean is, is not specifically the profession of a, of, of a sports agent, but in practice what happens is that uh, sports agents, and uh, football agents in particular, more often than not, they are paid by the club, not by their own client. Uh, meaning that there's this, in essence, there's already a potential conflict of interest because what is the, uh, what is important for, for the agent, of course, uh, to, to, to assist and, and protect the interest, also the financial interest in terms of the side that we'll get at a club, um, to protect the interests of the player. But at the same time, he's thinking about his own commission, of course. And, and there is a there's a conflict of interest because that commission will be paid uh, usually by by the club, not by his actual client, uh, the player. Uh, and if you then know, as I indicated earlier, that there's a, a global budget uh, usually for for um, uh, for a uh, for a club to to spend on a player, uh, then uh, he needs to be very acutely aware that the conflict of interest is there. It should not necessarily be a big problem, but he should be aware of it and, and make sure that, um, well, there's checks and balances in place, as I indicated earlier on, uh, that someone is checking that, uh, well, this is in the framework of a contract negotiation, if that is undertaken by an agent, uh, I think it's a good idea for, for an individual player or his family to, to single out an independent uh, lawyer to, to check and double check on what, uh, the agent is doing on that specific uh, transaction. Fantastic advice, and, and I think you're right. You know, I always say to people, you know, I look at it from an agency perspective. Yeah, you know, if someone's going to make someone a lot of money, people are normally quite happy to pay them, you know, or, to be, or for them to be paid a lot of money. Uh, that's never the issue. Is that point of you're saying about dealing with the conflict in the right way and transparently, so everyone's well aware of what's going on. Now we've got changes to FIFA's approach to regulating agents that are up what yeah you know, there's been lots of people who've got criticisms over various points of this but what do you think is I guess the opportunity or what would you like to see happen going forward with agents say for example there was someone at FIFA or someone at um, a national FA a football association who's listening what would you like them to, to to sort of factor in? I think you've already addressed some some really uh, coherent points earlier. Is there anything else you would like them to factor in uh, if you were to create almost a perfect sort of regulatory landscape for agents? In but, yeah, but now I'm speaking as a lawyer, of course. Um, make sure that whatever regulations you you, you adopt and, and, and have in place, make sure that they survive legal scrutiny. Uh, because a number of agents already announced that they uh, will attack new agents' uh, regulations, uh, uh, the cap on commissions, etc. And so my, my main uh, advice would be make sure that you do your homework right. It's a good thing that you take back control 
because we all agree thing, and I think even people at FIFA now agree that it was a mistake in 2015 to let go of this particular line of, of, of their market. Uh, it's good that they re-regulate, but uh, as as always, as a sports governing body, they need to strike a balance between uh, well, what is what is the aim? What what are you trying to achieve? Uh, I think a cleaner, more transparent uh, market, uh, and that's uh, a laudable aim. Uh, but at the other end, you have competition law and you have legal restraints as a, as a private entity based in Switzerland on how far you can regulate. Uh, you cannot go beyond what. Uh, uh, what is necessary to 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 attain that goal, and and that's a very difficult um, exercise. So I'm, I'm I don't want to be in the shoes of, of sports governing bodies in that respect. Uh, it's a difficult one uh, to strike that balance. Uh, also, they have a lot of um, stakeholders. They all have to inform and consult, and then everyone has his own agenda. Uh, so it's certainly not an, an easy process. But my my main my main recommendation would be in the end, if you look at the end result, make sure that it survives legal scrutiny, because otherwise you'll be gone for once. Well, good good news for lawyers that will be able to uh, to attack the rules and, and regulations. But uh, I don't think it will necessarily be uh, very helpful for, for football. Yeah, there are indeed undeniably some challenges trying to intervene here in in the level of the um, of the governing bodies uh, but what we see is that some national authorities aren't awaiting the action of um, of the governing bodies uh, for example in Belgium well as we've discussed before Sean um, uh, the new budget was announced yesterday um, and one of the elements which is I thought was very particular was um, well they've came to find that um, a lot of the uh, funding that the government is putting into football is then flowing again out of football uh, towards agents. So in approximate here in Belgium, I think Belgian government is giving tax and social security breaks uh, to the uh, Belgian football clubs of an approximate 200 million every year. And I think that we have on average agents fees being paid uh, by the clubs uh, of an approximate uh, 50 million. Now, what I've noticed um, yesterday, it was in very small letters in the um, in the uh, announcement of the government, is that uh, the government, by introducing a uh, reduction of the tax deductibility for corporate income tax purposes on agency fees, they want to have an impact as well on what is effectively flowing out of the game uh, towards representatives. Um, and this, these are also developments um, which we are seeing uh, where we know that there are challenges uh, for the governing bodies trying to control the agencies um, or trying to uh, reduce them or put a cap on them. Uh, what we see is that often from a tax perspective, um, there was uh, limited deductibilities being introduced, uh, which uh, often has the same results. Um, so that's also, cap. Yeah. Uh, so that's also something that's very important. So finally, then, if you were going to give any advice to agents working in this market, given the changing landscape, so for players, is you know get good get a good team of advisors around you more broadly, get your parents involved, get other people people you can trust involved, presuming you can trust your parents. 
<laughs> you, um, yeah, because sometimes you can't, right? We've had no, exactly. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, presuming you can trust your parents, trust your parents. But if you can't, then make sure you get really good advisors around you. But for agents in this difficult landscape, and I think people often underappreciate how difficult it can be to be a football agent. Always, and there's a huge discrepancy between people's interpretation of what a football agent does and what they actually do. And to be a good football agent, you work extremely hard and you do loads of different things. Given that this the, the space is in a state of flux and there are the change in domestic, you know, changes to domestic legislation, changes by governing bodies being made domestically and internationally, what piece of advice would you give to agents who are trying to navigate and do the right thing and they and they, you know, really want to add value to their client? base whether it's a club or a, or a player that's a really difficult question it's a, a very difficult one uh, my, 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 my logic advice would be go for the long term be very transparent explain what you're doing why you are doing it how you are being remunerated uh yourself um uh, so so be very transparent uh, put a lot of time and effort in in, in, in guiding and counseling the players but uh in, in in a lot of countries including in belgium it's very easy to part ways with your agent. So a lot of the times the feedback that we get from agents is, yeah, that's all very, it sounds all very nice in theory, uh, but um, most of the time I, I, I put a lot of time, energy and money in, in, in uh, doing what a proper agent is, is um, supposed to be doing. And then in the end, there's this uh, transaction-focused agent that just uh, scoops away the player just before this first professional contract or his first um, uh, mega transfer uh, abroad. Uh, so it's, it's a difficult one. I think that is a one excellent advice and that's kind of good business advice. Um, I think more broadly um, that can be applicable to lawyers, uh, agents and the business owners uh, and the athletes. And the point that you make around, which I think is a fantastic point to make, that there are agents who try to do everything right, try to be transparent, try to do everything, and then they end up not having a business at the end of the day, uh, which again yeah. seems part of the, the the issues with the difficult regulatory landscape that it is at the moment. And hopefully, the new regs that are coming in will help at least support those people. But yeah. um, I think that's absolutely fantastic advice. So thank you. And then Manan, I think you had a follow-on question. Yeah. So just taking Dan and Swen back to our conversation earlier about deploying a contract where Sven, you mentioned two elements to it. One was the agent element and the second was the data element to it. So picking up on the second element, how important do you think that it will be for professionals working in football, particularly lawyers, tax experts and agents to be comfortable working with and analyzing data to advise football players effectively? Data, yeah. I mean, you talk to two... Um data uh, and, and, and football analytics buff, so we're probably not the main voice in the sector in, in terms of uh, football analytics, uh, but I think it's very important in a, in a world, in a sector that is governed by a lot of uh, what the French call flu artistique, I mean <laughs> a transfer fee or, or, or it, it's very opaque, it's very difficult to, to objectively uh, assess value, pinpoint value to uh, a certain uh, player, to a certain transaction, whether it's a transfer fee. And so there are some um, 
initiatives uh, often by by uh, football analytics companies, but also by by organizations uh, such as CIES in, in Neuchâtel in Switzerland. They try to develop algorithms to make to objectify to to make more rational this very irrational market that is that is football, uh, where where salaries uh, same story. Um, I mean, the benchmarking of salaries is, is, is a big challenge. If, if you want to be a proper advisor, you need to know what uh, the benchmark is for uh, a given player uh, in a given competition in a given uh, club. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of room still available for, for data and, and for, in general, um, making more objective um, uh, the world of football and, and all the transactions that happen in that world. Yeah, I think if I can may add to that, um, it can start with very simple things. Yeah? Um, for example, as, as as tax lawyers, when we fill in the tax returns of, of the players or of their image rights companies, um, we have a very clear view of what's coming in, in which season, uh, what's their worth. So basically what we try to do uh, already over the past few years was, was try to benchmark all of this information, uh, gather all the data. Um, and of course, the more clients you serve, uh, the better view you get on, on, on the sector and on licensing agreements, uh, on salaries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now, obviously, uh, specialized firms uh, are also into play here, um, especially I think if you want to make the bridge between uh, sports performances and uh, added value of a particular player to a particular club. Um, so to that extent, I'm a very strong believer of, of, well, the more you know, the better decisions you make. Um, and that's basically uh, our message, I think. We love data and, and use of data. But uh, again, talking as a lawyer, you, you will have noted that, that um, in a number of jurisdictions, there's a lot of debate now ongoing on, on whether you can just uh, capture data and, and, and uh, use and process uh, data linked to um, to individual players. So that, that will be a very interesting one for lawyers around the sports lawyers around the globe over the coming years. But, um, well, in a way, I hope that uh, it's probably not a very, very lawyery thing to say, but that, uh, well, we will still be able to use data uh, in, in, in a very regulated and, and correct manner uh, to, again, help us uh, rationalize this sector. That was a very lawyer answer. <laughs> but the uh, um, the one thing I find that, 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 and again, just finally, I keep saying finally, but I know you guys are really busy and you've got a hard stop. When you're looking at what's going on with the, the data analytics currently within football, for example, there has to be probably more cases where the data hasn't worked than cases where the data has worked. If we look at the football transfer market, for example, where they spend a lot of money on a player, bring him in, they have all the data. So presumably then, if given that it's in a state of flux and you're relying on often third-party data, having this better understanding of the data means that that potential deviation mm -hmm. between the minimum and maximum that someone will spend means that you're in a position where you can either talk someone down or talk someone up, depending on who you're acting for. But that's exactly why, uh, for instance, for Kevin, uh, two separate football analytics uh, companies were retained. Just uh, we, we know that it's a, it's a fairly it's a difficult field to work in. Um, 
even if you're very competent, you can get things wrong. Uh, and it's better, again, uh, to have two analysis uh, compared to, uh, to one analysis to, uh, to build on. Yeah, it's, it's something, it's comparable to, uh, for example, transfer pricing valuations uh, here at the firm. We also have a, a special department who only does evaluations of, for example, of brands or uh, intangible assets, etc. And often these valuations, well, uh, you can valuate something at 10, you can valuate it at 20. Uh, sometimes it, it's very much depending upon perspective, uh, upon uh, conjuncture, etc., etc. So in that respect, um, if, even if, well, if you use data, um, it, it's always best to have it double checked. And, and as Sven uh, pointed out, um, in this particular case, uh, well, uh, we didn't like uh, a scenario where, where numbers uh, would be considered as coincidental, uh, but we tried to really objectify the data. That's such great advice. So thank you for sharing that. And I think it's something when football fans, when sports lawyers, when aspiring sports lawyers reading stuff in the press, about you know what's taking place is always to remember there's often things going on in the background that you're not aware of and that you know just because you know you've seen that someone's used data analytics it doesn't mean it's just one provider and that there may be other things going on i think sometimes that nuanced context is is, is can be lost as we're trying to you know disseminate easy to access information both from us and also from the you know the great work though the, and the difficult work that the journalists are trying to do to cover these issues in real time at fast pace Thank you so much, both of you. Delighted that we finally got you onto the, the podcast. I know that you've had an incredibly busy period and I can understand why. And I think most people listening will appreciate why you've been so busy um, and particularly with the government announcement. Um, thank you for agreeing to do this and taking the time out. And again, as I say to everyone who listens to the podcast, if you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed what Sven and Dan have said, please do get in contact with them and let them know. I'm sure they'd love to hear it. We would love to. I'm always surprised about the things that uh, we get feedback from listeners of the podcast about what they find useful and interesting and engaging. You know, uh, So thank you for listening. Thank you guys for taking the time out of your diary to do it. And Manan, thanks for joining on as a co-host thanks, today. Guys. And, uh, well, thank so you so welcome. much, uh, Sven. It's been an honor. Thanks, and all. Sean and Manan.